Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. A historic apology from the Pope that was decades in the making delivered at last. This moment, I think, uh, reflects that uh, the, the uh, determination and the courage of many that kept up the fight over the years. That was former national chief and residential school survivor Phil Fontaine. He led the first Indigenous delegation to the Vatican back in 2009. The Pope's acknowledgement of the trauma caused by the church-run residential schools and his declaration to come to Canada came at the end of an emotional week for the Inuit, Métis and First Nations delegates. I'm joined now by the head of the Inuit delegation, Netan Obed. He is the president of the Inuit, Taparit Kanatami. Can you tell us what this experience of receiving the apology and the request for forgiveness from the Pope was like for you personally? I've spent my career working for Inuit uh, in various different roles, but from, a, from the residential school um, perspective, so many Inuit are affected by either having attended residential schools or being intergenerational survivors of residential schools, meaning their parents or their caregivers went to schools. There's so much trauma and so much hurt that has been generated from these schools. And in the Catholic Church's uh, case, they have chosen not to apologize for uh, now almost 15 years after the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement was finalized. And then in keeping with that time frame, it was 2008 when the Canadian government apologized to Indigenous peoples in Canada for residential schools. So this is long overdue. And then in the moment, uh, I had great respect for Pope Francis in that he must have taken a personal um, role in ensuring that the apology happened and also the way in which he delivered it, which was very empathetic and um, very thoughtful. I know that many different First Nations, Inuit and Métis people across the country will have a wide variety of thoughts based on what they heard today. But for me, I just thought immediately about how long we fought for this particular day, but then also for the challenges that remain and the difficulties uh, that many people are facing today who aren't in a position to accept it or who aren't in a position to uh, um, see this as a day of celebration. Uh, and Nathan, as, as you're saying, it, an emotional and a historic apology, but their words, and there are so many actions that need to be taken. What do those actions need to look like? First and foremost, we call upon the Catholic Church uh, to immediately um, provide the $25 million that was um, part of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement that ordered the Catholic Church to pay as restitution to um, First Nations Inuit Métis residential school, uh, First Nations and Inuit residential school survivors. We also call on the Catholic Church to do all that it can to implement not only the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, but also the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. Uh, we still hope that the Pope will come to Canada and apologize as per call to action 58 to Indigenous peoples in Canada. We also hope that the Catholic Church will work with us so that any records 
that they have associated with the running of residential schools uh, are made public or made available to anyone who may be able to use them in a path towards healing. We also have called very clearly for the Pope himself to speak with Johannes Revoir, who is a Catholic oblate um, who is um, wanted in Canada for charges of sexual abuse and we would like to see him extradited from France and we believe that the Pope can play an instrumental role personally in intervening on this case to see justice done for the victims. I know that's, that's a very important case in, in your community and for so many Canadians uh, with the request that that priest, Johan Rivoire, be brought back to Canada to face these allegations against him, which are extremely serious of sexual abuse. When you are looking at the Pope coming to Canada to deliver an apology here on Indigenous land in Canada, what do you think that visit needs to look like? We need to organize it with the Canadian Council of Catholic Bishops and the Vatican so that we are all on the same page on how this, um, this visit will unfold. Uh, you know, Pope Francis joked with us uh, in his private meeting with Inuit about he would love to come and visit us, but not in the winter. <laughs> and fair enough, uh, you know, Italy is not the same as Inuit Nunangat when it comes to weather. And so I could see how he would be hesitant to come at minus 40. So we do hope that he is able to visit one of our communities in Inuit Nunangat as part of the larger um, uh, uh, visit to Canada, which will, I'm sure, involve going to First Nations and Métis communities as well. But we need to be involved in this and provide advice and allowed to be uh, a participant in the way that this all unfolds so that we can do the best possible job to match the ambition of the Pope with uh, the ability to make the best of that, uh, that for all of us. Nathan, Inuit voices have often been left out of discussions about reconciliation. Do you think that that's changing and the voices of your communities are now going to be heard and more prominent in this discussion? I think we live in a time where there is now an understanding of First Nations, Inuit and Métis um, instead of just a broad understanding that there are indigenous peoples in Canada. We have such a different colonial history. We also have a different relationship with the government of Canada, whether it be through legislation or through federal government policy. So a distinctions-based approach um, is necessary to ensure that our voices are understood and heard in the largest conversations that, that happen in this country about indigenous peoples. I think the more that I'm on the air talking to you about Inuit, the more that Canadians understand the difference as well. Um, not very many Canadians have been to Inuit Nunangat, uh, and people know that there are Inuit who live in the Arctic, but really how we fit into this country and how we fit into reconciliation, also the ways in which we fit into the horrific record of residential schools and also in the work that we are doing with the church, um, it starts with knowledge. It starts with understanding who we are and the specific concerns that we may have. Um, and we're very fortunate to live in a time where our voice is being heard more and more. 
Nathan, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us and to join us. And we look forward to speaking to you about this many more times uh, in the future as this progresses. Um, thank you again for making time for us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. A delegation of Ukrainian MPs have left their country behind, which is under siege, in order to travel here to North America with an urgent message for Ottawa and Washington. Ukraine needs more military assistance and more sanctions against Russia, as well as humanitarian and financial aid for their people. I'm joined now by the chair of that delegation, Lysia Zabruana. Thank you so much for joining us. We're sorry that it's under the circumstances that it is. Uh, I was just in Ukraine not long ago. Uh, certainly incredible fight, incredible resistance and resilience and determination of your people. But you're here talking to Canadian and American politicians because you need help. Yes, thank you for invitation. And first of all, I would like to say thank you for all Canadian people to Canadian government for the support and for their efforts. Uh, you know that in Ukraine, we're absolutely sure that Canada is one of the best friends for Ukraine. And now when we have really a terrible situation in Ukraine, we need more support. We need more support from your people, from your government, from your parliament. And you're absolutely right. First of all, here, uh, we are trying to discuss and to highlight three main issues. The first one is military assistance. Uh, we absolutely believe in our nation. We absolutely believe in our people. And we believe that we will win. But we would like to highlight that it's not a war between Russia and Ukraine. It's a war between evil and democratic world. So we have to win. And I'm sure that with the Canadian support, Ukraine will be a symbol of victory in this struggle. The next one, we need more Russian sanctions. We highly appreciate that Canada is brave in this question. And we know that Canada started in the world with Russian sanctions. But we need more. We need strong sanctions. And the last one, we're also looking for new financial instruments for Ukraine. Because from the beginning of the war, now we have more than 550 billions of financial losses. And it's only now. Each month we have a deficit of state budget about $7 billion. So we are looking for financial assistance and we hope that Canada can be a leader in this sphere and also help us to have effective negotiation with other countries in this aspect. Lesia, I know you just left Kyiv a few days ago and we were talking before the show. Your husband and your daughter are still there. What does it feel like being here to deliver this message? And do you feel that Canadians and Americans in the world are listening to you? Uh, you know, it was a big challenge for all of us to leave our country, to leave our people, and first of all, our family, and to go to North America. But we are the members of parliament. We have a duty. We represent our people. We have to advocate our 
national interest. And when we come back, we have to answer our people what we do for the victory. And uh, frankly speaking, we try do not feel we try to do everything only in a rational manner because it's impossible if you are trying to feel something you couldn't do anything so we know what we need to do and what we must do and we are trying to be um, very responsibility in this your strength is so admirable and, and incredible, and, and we saw that over and over again when I was in Ukraine. Uh, just amazing willingness to fight and bravery and courage. I've been asked over and over again by Canadians, they want to know what can they do to help Ukrainians? What would you say to our viewers at home about what they can do to help your people in Ukraine? What we would kindly ask all Canadian people, you have a representative democracy in your country, so please push your government, push your parliament, because now Ukraine needs actions. We don't need a long conversation, negotiations. We need actions. And Canadian people can push their government to act. What do you think comes next for Ukraine? People have speculated over whether Vladimir Putin will back down, over whether he will become more aggressive and bomb civilian areas more as he's losing this war and in a stalemate with the Ukrainians. What are you expecting as a Ukrainian leader to happen in your country next? You know, a lot of people ask us about peace talks. Uh, and I can say only one thing. We haven't any peace talks. You know, uh, we don't believe Putin absolutely. Uh, we will be successful in any negotiation if we will be strong. And we can be strong only if we will have military assistance. And only after this, we will do what we have to do. We have to kick out him from any inch of our territory. And we have to stop together Putin in Ukraine because we're absolutely sure and all um, democratic leaders also know that if he, we will not stop him in Ukraine, the next will be other European countries. And actually, of course, it's difficult to understand, but the, actually the Third World War started. And we have to stop Putin just now. That's yeah, a dire warning and one I'm sure many Canadians are listening to. Thank you for joining us today. Please have a safe journey back home and our best wishes to your family. Thank you. Thank you. But we uh, would like to be safe at home. It's our best dream just now. Thank you for attention and for your understanding. It's a dream all Ukrainians deserve. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Canada's former top soldier, General Jonathan Vance, pleaded guilty last week to obstructing justice. The court heard that Vance encouraged Major Kelly Brennan, a subordinate with whom he had a clandestine intimate relationship, to lie to military police to cover it up. 
Global News has obtained a copy of Brennan's victim impact statement, which was not read in full in court. In it, Brennan says, quote, It sickens me to have to say, I have received over 200 emails from other members that conveyed to me the hardships they had also endured while they served. She adds that, as a soldier, I was trained to follow orders and respect my superiors, to find myself in a position where my superior was abusing his power and using his authority to intimidate and silence me was a complete betrayal of everything I respected in the military. As part of his conditional discharge, Vance must serve 12 months of probation and complete 80 hours of community service. If he complies with those terms, he won't receive a criminal record. That raises questions on what justice looks like as military sexual assault cases enter the civilian system. Joining us now to talk about this is Simon Fraser University's Megan McKenzie. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you had a chance to see what was said in court. What were your thoughts on John Vance receiving a conditional sentence, which means uh, there will be no criminal record despite his guilty plea if he complies with the conditions, and just the way that this was handled by the authorities in the justice system? I mean, I think it's just devastating. It's devastating for, I'm devastated for victims. I'm devastated for all of those that were hopeful that um, the past year was going to be um, sort of a, a watershed moment. This was the most high profile case in a year when we had case after case of senior leaders being faced with allegations of sexual misconduct. So to have this culminate in a court hearing where essentially the judge and uh, Vance's colleagues um, congratulated him for his service and focused on the burden that these charges have been for him. And as you said, that the victim statement wasn't even read. I think is is just so disappointing. We also know that the, the Crown told us that um, he suggested Kelly Brennan change parts of that statement. She did. Uh, he says that she agreed to that. Obviously, uh, that was interesting too, considering the fact that it was not read aloud in court. But what do you think the message is that this sends to men and women in the Canadian forces who might be thinking about coming forward with their own stories? Will they still feel there's enough of a sea change that they're able to do that? Or does this really throw a wrench into things? I think there's no evidence that there's a sea change. There's no evidence that this has been a watershed moment. Um, I think there's a lot of rhetoric and there's a lot of, I think, good intentions and, and you know hope and commitments but in terms of actually holding perpetrators accountable and actually having zero tolerance for sexual misconduct here we see that even when um, a senior military leader admits guilt to a criminal charge ultimately he's not gonna he's unlikely to have a criminal record so I can't imagine you know it's all it's already very difficult for victims to come forward it is um, it's so personal. It's difficult for their lives. There's nothing for them to gain other than a sense of justice. And so for them to see a case like this result essentially in a pat on the back um, and accolades rather than a criminal conviction, I think is, is really discouraging. When you look at the changes that are underway, obviously, they're, they're, we haven't heard much about that other than the commitment to move sexual assault cases out of the system. We're still waiting on the Arbor report. The government won't answer our questions on exactly when that's coming out, other than to say that it's going to be uh, sometime in the spring or in the summer that that is likely to happen. In the meantime, there's things the military could do. For example, John Vance has a number of military honours and awards. They could recommend to the Governor General that things like his Order of Military Merit should be stressed. 
script. Do you think that that's something the military should be looking at to send a message in the wake of this verdict? I think it is something they should be seriously looking at. I think it would send a strong um, message. I think what we see here is that, look, the civilian system isn't great at handling sexual misconduct cases either. And so simply moving um, military cases into the civilian system isn't going to be a silver bullet. We still have broader cultural issues. And so I do think uh, removing someone's honors and all of the access and benefits that they get from that is at least something in the face of a total failure of holding someone accountable um, in terms of justice. What did you think of the political response to this? What we asked um, the prime minister about it, we asked the defense minister, and they said, well, we can't comment on a criminal case. And that was kind of the end of it. Yeah, I think that's disappointing. I think that we had a minister who, who expressed a very serious commitment to handling this issue. And handling this issue means um, being accountable when you have a clear case where there isn't any accountable to perpetrators or alleged perpetrators, where you have one of the, well, the most senior member of the Canadian Armed Forces who's essentially um, not going to face any criminal charges. I do think it's important for political leaders to weigh in and um, clarify their position, to make uh, you know clarifications around their commitments. And they have the power to do things like stripping honors. So I think I think it's not enough to sort of step back and then still use this rhetoric of cultural change. Well, these are the examples that either change culture or entrench culture. Megan McKenzie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here next Sunday. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block.